Now, the European Medicines Agency has said it could approve the use of an oral antiviral medicine to treat COVID-19 within weeks. The EMA is evaluating the antiviral medicine Paxlovid, which is being developed by the US drug maker Pfizer. It's already been approved in the UK. Now, last week here, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, confirmed that Ireland is pursuing the purchase of the COVID-19 antiviral and monoclonal antibody treatments to the tune of €90 million. But is it good value for money and are the drugs safe? Well, Professor Sam McConkie, Infectious Disease Specialist at the RCSI University of Medicine and Health Sciences, joins me on the line now. And Sam, I spoke to Professor Michael Barry, Director of the National Centre for Pharmacoeconomics on the television programme last night. He expressed serious concerns about the safety of these COVID-19 antiviral drugs, particularly Pfizer's Paxlovid. Let's listen to what he had to say. We've procured 90 million. My question is, will we use it? And, and, and the reason I ask that is that we know from previous studies that the, the, the three most important determinants of prescribing behaviour in this country are the first two you'd expect, safety and efficacy. The second or the third is drug interactions. Clinicians in this country take drug interactions very seriously. And I think when they look at the profile of this drug, and we propose to write to all our practitioners, because these are all medications that could be used in the community, and I think that people know, need to know the hazards of, 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 of prescribing these so drugs. So you're going to write to every GP in the country, is we that do the that, plan? We do that regularly. And what are you going to say? We're going to highlight the, we're going to highlight the issue about interactions, highlight the drug classes that, that, that a, you know, it may interact with, and I think they need to be informed about that. Um, I know some of my colleagues uh, consider that this drug could be a nightmare for them. I don't know if it's going to be a nightmare, but what it will be, it will be a real challenge. So that's Professor Michael Barry. Do you have similar concerns, Sam McConkie? Yes, uh, we have uh, seen, uh, I've seen in my own practice, uh, very, very serious and life-threatening drug-drug uh, interactions with ritonavir is the name of the component that's in Paxlovid and it's also been on the market for uh, a number of other diseases in Ireland for probably 15 or 20 years. So so some of us have a lot of experience using it. And I, I think if you really are experienced using it and, and know what you're doing, particularly we've, we've a very, very good specialist pharmacist who knows all the drug interactions and is uh, meticulous in asking patients what herbs are they taking, what other remedies are they using, what are they using over the counter and what medicines are they prescribed. And then does a really thorough interaction check uh, using their computer resources. The University of Liverpool have a website that actually describes the interactions of ritonavir one by one. You can start putting the drugs people are taking, put in ritonavir and it will tell you if there's a, a workaround, if it's safe, if it's not safe or if it's completely contraindicated. So it does involve that uh, meticulous checking of every single component, including things like sort of grapefruit juice or St. John's wort. So mm-hmm. even, even some herbal uh, remedies you know, that people might use. Similarly, drugs for asthma and COPD, some of the really powerful steroid-based inhalers, uh, one called fluticasone, has a major interaction. I've certainly seen life-threatening interactions, people taking fluticasone uh, who take it, who are also taking ritonavir. Uh, and, and some of the ones for hay fever, Avamus, or a, a trade name, sorry, but the fluticasone nasal spray that's used for um, hay fever also has a, has a very severe interaction. So what Dr. Barry said is completely right. I believe with uh, uh, you know a week or two of education, with provision of these resources and information to the prescribers, that that could be done safely. So I don't see this as an absolute uh, contraindication, a block to the drug being used. I see it as a, 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 a time for learning, for meticulous 
meticulous planning for a thorough rollout scheme that prevents these life-threatening interactions. There's another problem here though and Professor Barry was explaining that his entire budget for a year for new drugs is 30 million euro. We're spending 90 million on this. We've committed that money already and he's saying what happens if another drug that is shown to be more effective comes along? We've already we've already bet the house on black here. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, ultimately a, a political decision of how we spend our public money. Uh, that's, uh, I think the way you put that um, is fairly accurate. Um, there are, we, we've, as I understand, Ireland has committed to an EU purchasing uh, group scheme so we get a, a better price, if you like, on, on the directly ant- acting antivirals. Um, it does appear that the um, the drug we're talking about, uh, Paxlovid, is much more efficacious than uh, another drug that's recently been approved called Molnupiravir. Uh, it, it's it's uh, been reviewed and seem, seems to work a bit, but the, the Paxlovid is much more better. The, the data on Paxlovid is there's only sort of a thousand people in the clinical trial that we've got results of, but none of the thousand people who got it uh, ended up dead, and about ten uh, died who were um, on the control group. So so that's quite dramatic uh, efficacy data, and mm-hmm. um, apart from the drug to interactions, it looks a reasonably safe option. So that that's a, a fairly complex decision. Sometimes, you know, if you don't go for the first mover that looks to work, then you can miss out on, on the effort. There may well be future drugs that are better. That's certainly the, the pattern in, uh, you know, for hepatitis C and for HIV, that as time goes on, uh, drugs get better. And also, we know now more and more people are vaccinated. So, you know, COVID may be less of a health issue in 20. 22, I'm hoping that it was in 2020. So I'm hoping, you know, the COVID-19 problem will, will gradually solve itself over the next two or three years, even, even without these drugs for many people. It's likely that many people who will be given the antiviral drugs won't have been vaccinated. Is there any question there for you as a clinician uh, when we're spending so much public money on people who refuse? In many cases, it is refusal. In some cases, we know it will be for other reasons. But for people who refuse the vaccine, that we would need to speculate this amount of money in order to treat them. Yeah, I feel that it's quite right that uh, the more vulnerable to severe disease and COVID care get, get priority for this drug and that would include unvaccinated people. So I, I would uh, agree that it's right to give it to unvaccinated people. Th- this idea that you're suggesting that you know people who've somehow contributed through their own behaviour to some of their medical illness, that happens, of course, you know, from smoking, it happens from drinking, it happens from car accidents, it happens from lots of other types of person behaviour. And at least historically in Irish Health Service, we, we generally don't treat people in any way worse because they may be partly um, responsible for their own uh, demise. So there's no tradition in the Irish Health Service of treating people in any way worse uh, because they were, their behaviour contributed to their illness. And I hope that continues. Mm-hmm. And I think there's widespread support for that view to, to treat based on medical need, regardless of whether people's own behaviour has, has contributed to their, their problems. So you, you have no issue, is that what you're saying, with the, the spend and the decision to invest in these particular drugs? Uh, so I haven't done the, 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 what would you say, the mathematical analytical calculation to see is, this, is 90 million the appropriate amount. Yeah. But I'm very glad that we are buying large amounts of this drug uh, to treat the vulnerable people. Unfortunately, there's, there's people you know, with liver transplants and kidney transplants and after these heavy chemotherapy that their immune system just doesn't really work. No amount of vaccine will really protect them from COVID and they're very, very vulnerable to getting severe COVID in the future. And I, I do see that these drugs will be a useful and efficacious and helpful tool 
to make their li- those people's lives safer. You know, the alternative would be to go and sort of cocoon up in the Blasket Islands in one of those little beehive huts where the monks lived <laughs> away from everyone. But that's, yeah. that's no life for any of us. Yes. So, so permanent lifelong cocooning for the next 15, 20 years for all the transplant people, to me, is not a, a good life. And, and th- these drugs offer them uh, a, a better chance of, of surviving covid for those who are vulnerable. Something you said there earlier about 2022, you would hope being a, a better year than 2020 when it comes to COVID, much better indeed. Uh, what's your view on Omicron and when the peak is likely to come? Well, the rate of increase is not as much, uh, you know, today as it was a week ago. So I, I think it is it is sort of levelling up. The, the challenge, as has been well articulated, is how much impact that has on the Irish healthcare system, on Irish hospitals and staffing levels, not just in healthcare but in education and lots of other areas. And we, we don't because there's a delay of often a week or two uh, before people end up in hospital. We, we're not perhaps hit that peak yet. To put that in context, um, at the worst times of the last two years, we had about 2,000 people in Irish hospitals with COVID-19. Now it's as everyone knows, it's about 1,000. So we're sort of halfway there. And you know we we can cope with that, but it's still very disruptive for other things, for elective surgery and lots of other. You know, having hips done, having knees replaced is really valuable healthcare for all of us. They're wonderful, effective, cost-effective tools, and those have sort of been suspended and disrupted because of the the COVID-19. So I'm I'm hoping that, um, you know, it levels off and comes down soon. I I wouldn't like to predict. Predicting peaks um, and and the inflection point is is a really challenging thing to do in mathematical models, so I'm reluctant to be drawn on that, but I'd hope fairly soon. The other uh, issue that government is certainly dealing with and NEFET this week, considering changes to rules around restrictions for close contacts. Do you agree that that is the best way forward now or do you have concerns about that? Well, I think there's a lot of wisdom in it uh, because the whole of um, employers and employees are being disrupted, industries and everything's being disrupted in schools but because of, of people being out with COVID. I, I think we've learned that household close contacts uh, particularly on vaccinated ones, a very high rate of conversion to, to COVID. But non-household contacts have less so, so it may be reasonable to release those, especially if there's more accessibility of antigen tests, so people can test every day with their antigen test. Antigen test negative then, you know, be more normal. So, so I think with the wider availability of testing, and modification of the rules uh, could, could be reasonable. I also think there's a role in people are antigen test positive but are not able to get a PCR test yes. it would be really helpful for them to get linked in to the statistics in our country into the database to get registered as a case and, and to get the contact tracing and, and the other benefits of being a formal case like for example your COVID app updated to say you had COVID yeah. I know Paul Reid uh, the head of the HSC told us last Friday that he expected by the end of this week that that would be the case but let's see how that develops over the course of the next few days The Taoiseach yesterday was very quick to rule out the introduction of mandatory vaccination we know the Department of Health is producing a paper for NEFID to examine the Taoiseach saying he favours a voluntary approach Do you or would you be in favour of some form of mandatory vaccination say for people in particular sectors like healthcare? Yeah we don't have a sort of tradition here of much mandatory vaccination. In healthcare, we are vaccinated against hepatitis B and have been for, you know, 20 odd years. And you can't hardly start a job in Irish healthcare hospitals without a hepatitis B vaccination search. So there is a precedent for this. Um, in, in general, my, my own, I suppose, personal view is that our 
personal health care and what we put in our body should be our own personal decision. Uh, and then, of course, we have to accept the consequences of that. So I, I, I wouldn't be pushing hard for mandatory vaccination. I think the, there are other ways of just encouraging people and, and uh, trying to persuade people that can be uh, effective to, to in a large number of, of cases. Professor Sam McConkie, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Claire.